0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod and welcome to the 103rd episode of the Truth Island Podcast. Throughout the ages, people have looked towards archetypes or role models to influence their behavior. Take the ancient Greeks who had an array of gods which they believed personified every gamut of human emotions and ambition. For example, one might want to base their behavior on that of Aphrodite if they wish to court a partner and fall in love, but take a page out of the book of Ares, if they were on the cusp of war. While in more modern times, we might think of Greek mythology as being simply fun stories to enjoy, these tales in many respects came to embody the values that the Greeks came to cherish. The practice of creating supreme embodiments of human goodness and wickedness encompasses virtually every culture and time period known to man. With stories of prophets dominating the Abrahamic religions in the West, and Siddhartha, Gautama, and Brahma serving as examples in the East. While science has certainly enhanced our understanding of the world and filled in many of the gaps once occupied by superstition and belief, having archetypes or role models still remains a huge part of our culture. Whether we realize it or not, we are on a daily basis being influenced by sports athletes, celebrities, business tycoons, and other media types. Yet a very important question arises. Are these role models necessarily the people that we should be following? Much like our ancient ancestors, those who we worship can on one hand embody the very best of what humanity has to offer, but on the other, it never hurts to pause and reflect on whether or not the images we are being inundated with represent the values that we as a society should emulate. Indeed. As discussed on previous episodes of this podcast, there remains a huge decline of good and virtuous characters that are currently being championed, with ruthless anti-heroes becoming a more domineering presence in our media culture. Today, I am joined by Jim, who's here to help me uncover what influence these role models might still have on us and how we might start looking for better candidates to lionize and worship. Jim, let me start off by asking you, who is someone you look up to?
1: So I have several ro- role models. Uh, m- one of them is uh, Jocko Willink with extreme ownership and echelon front. Uh, then, of course, I have Christ, uh, Jesus Christ in, in the biblical narrative, Plato, Lincoln, uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, even, to, and this is going to sound like a really nerdy part of me, is uh, Gandalf and Aragorn of all things. <laughs> um, I, really, I really like how Tolkien makes his characters, and, and they're almost lifelike in, in many regards uh great role models i think
0: yeah sometimes we can look up to fictional role models i think i think that's totally cool um you know it's okay if 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 luke skywalker is making your life better then so be it my friend right
1: <laughs> no but i mean i'm sure we'll get into that here in a little bit you know cuz they are role models that are that are in culture uh Absolutely. both real and fictional so
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that a lot of um, fictional characters are based on mythology or based on you know, religious idealisms from other cultures. You know, a lot of people think that like someone like George Lucas just came up with this idea of light and darkness. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He's reaching back to zoroastrianism to figure that one out. So whether, whether we want to admit it or we're aware or unaware, we have a lot of these archetype figures that are actually really hearkening back to ancient history.
1: Absolutely. In so many different ways too. I thought it was interesting how you brought up, you know, the the Greek gods and stuff. And so the Greek gods are are pretty interesting in a lot of ways because they they in some ways they they stratify their their gods both in with a hierarchy within gods and also the demigods, creatures and so on and so forth that represent different aspects. The Greeks oftentimes tried on the societal level, like that's where you see like the like Zeus like governing, right? but also with, with good government comes betrayal or the betrayal of government. And that, and that is, that's like an archetypal Zeus type of thing. Aphrodite, yes, you could, you could follow Aphrodite to learn how to love better, but you better be careful because Aphrodite also represents this dichotomous relationship with lust, uh, which actually caused her to destroy a relationship with Hephaestus, which is like the blacksmith of, uh, of the Greek gods. Yeah, and Ares is, you know, he's the goddess of war, god, of uh, goddess, but god of war and the, the god of uh, cowardice.
0: Very interesting. I want to, so it seems like all of these Greek gods stood, you know, they were emblems for certain things, but they also had flaws, right? Like Zeus constantly cheated, constantly went down to earth as a mortal and had affairs and so forth. Do the Greeks kind of highlight these flaws as things to avoid? Like, hey, even Zeus makes a mistake here and there, or did they celebrate those flaws?
1: That's actually uh, an interesting question, and I would probably say that it's more of a, a warning. The, the issue, though, is how you integrate those negative, what we would perceive as negative aspects of, of personality or something like that. Like, I mean, like we could talk about the masculine, and the feminine, order, or chaos. I mean, all of these things are kind of the same way, and, and and can be looked at that same in that way.
0: Yeah, I hear you because I I would imagine like is there like for example with Ares he's also the god of cowardice. Is there like a story where his cowardice kind of like comes and bites him in the, on the behind?
1: My mind goes to the Odyssey, where it's alluded to during the uh, the Odyssey or, or the Iliad. It, it's like this this cowardice of it's associated with resentment. It kind of comes out and he he, he flees battle versus uh, attacking uh, there's also, I mean, there's multiple, these, these personalities are multifaceted and you can kind of generalize looking at the, the basic dichotomy, but even then, like you can take love, the the highest virtue in many regards to the worst place, for example. So Aphrodite, she loved and Adonis was like the, the like the statue of David, as far as like levels of beauty is concerned. <laughs> and she, I was obsessed over it too. So there's this, this balancing act that has to occur when you, when you look at these different types of emotions or these different types of modes of being.
0: You see it always like, for me personally, it's always comforted that these gods have this, this human element to them. And I also find comfort that the Abrahamic prophets also have flaws and they also have things like I think of, of Jonah, like kind of running away from responsibility and I think that if the archetypes were perfect in everything, then we really wouldn't emulate them as much. I actually I actually think that their their greatest selling point is their flaws or the things that they overcome within themselves. I think that's what makes them relatable and I think it's not just the the, virtue, the virtues that they embody but how they kind of improve to become even more virtuous through like some misfortune or some bad choice that they've made like i know that odysseus makes a thousand and one bad choices right don't open pandora's box or so you know like a thousand choices he makes wrong but it's kind of his overcoming those bad choices <laughs> that really teaches us a lesson
1: so Odysseus is actually an interesting story because his is a generational type of thing. Uh, so the myth of right, where the guy who's punished for like pushing a hill, like a rock up a hill over and over and over again, that was like his great, 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 whatever, grandfather. <laughs> um, and he was known as a, as like the ultimate trickster. Then you have this story of Odysseus that comes around. He's now the, he's like a good trickster in ways. Yes, he's a trickster, but like he he's able to use it to, you know, to defeat the Trojans or uh, get off uh, the island with, with the Cyclops saying, I'm, I'm nobody. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it's actually interesting because, like, there's 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 different things. And, and I mean, I think that's just good storytelling one-on-one. Like, you have to have a really interesting limitation. And it's funny also you point out Odysseus because there's, there's – I think there's one character in most of the – mythologies and, and religions out there that doesn't have a flaw. And that is, is Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm biased because I'm a Christian, but like that's that, that's what I would say. It's almost like a generational type thing, too, because God sends his son to 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 rid the world or to, to help conquer death. I won't say rid the world of sin of sin, but give somebody a, a method of saving themselves through like through this this perfect figure. Which is interesting because that's probably the one character everyone keeps coming back to, at least for right now. So the Greeks are very the Greeks in most mythologies that break down like their gods and goddesses by let's call it natural functions in the world don't do I don't think they do a a, a job a, a job like Christ can do in the Bible. And the reason why is because they're pointing at too many different places. Even if you have you know, Zeus overall, you know, you still have like Artemis and all the other ones that are that are that you can be worshipped and not. And like this is the one that's worth it mm-hmm. and that's the problem and in that regard where Christ, everything points to God because like Jesus is God and you have the Holy Spirit. And so you have this tr- this trinity, not separate. They're separate, but they're also the same. And I know it's uh, an oxymoron in some of its own regards or a paradox. But they're also the same. And so it all points to this, this highest value of truth.
0: I see. So uh, just to summarize what you're saying, like the Greeks look to their gods as being like, here's some stuff that is really awesome. But here's some flaws that I should kind of avoid, like like because these are imperfect you know, deities. Then we we can both emulate what we like about them, and we can also learn um, from their mistakes. Whereas with, with Jesus, it's more of like this is the life that we should be kind of following.
1: Yeah. This is the highest mode of like the highest mode of being, the highest truth, and and you can put it that way as far as the Greeks are concerned.
0: You know, I'm sure that that has you know evolved, and I, th- I think that like the Buddhists have that kind of relationship with Buddha. Like if Buddha mm-hmm. did it, then it, it's pretty it's pretty rock solid that that's what you ought to be doing when, when we think of these you know of these figures they tend to influence greatly the society that 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 they're you know um enmeshed with right and I, I think that this is even true in Africa they have a lot of oral traditions and in the Americas they also have like even other non-western cultures kind of um have these figures and, and sort of look to them for guidance
1: Overall, like every society is going to have this this overall like value that that they see and their myths kind of revolve around that a little bit. The the oceanic tradition. So like if we've all seen Moana, that's oceanic Maui, uh, you know, he represents the trickster God, but is also is also is also you know, lifting islands to create, you know, new places to voyage and to explore and stuff like that. And that's the, and Moana gets a lot of things right. As far as uh, some of its religion, of course, it's a little bit more bloody than, than that. You know, one of the, one of the things I find interesting about native American traditions is uh, we, we tend to not like snakes most in most places <laughs> around the world. Right.
0: Us in Indiana Jones. We don't, we, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> he, would,
1: he would have a fit, but there's a story of uh a young native american girl but the idea is you know she marries a rattlesnake and and she she tries to say hey the the snake is fine uh, don't don't mess with the snake live like live with the snake and that's a lot a very common theme in but in these in these more oral type of cultures
0: <laughs> so that's kind of like and and i think that speaks to the values of that culture. So that culture is kind of saying, yeah, don't hunt all of these animals. Yeah. Don't, you know, destroy the land and fill it with concrete and cement. Like we have to kind of just live within nature and, you know, I'm not even placing like any value judgments on any of these things. I'm just, we're just Mm -hmm. pointing out the connection between the gods and we're pointing out the connection between what you believe in and how that influences our, our, our culture. Now, You know, obviously we've, you know, moving into the, to the modern era we had for the very longest time, I think Christianity was the chief, uh, you know, the, the the chief archetype of, of what, of how human behavior should, should come. Like they produced, you know, with, with Jesus as being the prime role model, they, they kind of serve that as we move into, you know, the late 19th century, we have the writings of Nietzsche and we start moving away from Christianity. Do you think that as we've moved away from Christianity, we've like lost touch with archetypes or do you think that they're still kind of swimming around in our culture today?
1: So they're definitely swimming around in our culture. This, the, the thing is we may not recognize them immediately or we'll, we discount them because we want to focus with on more of like the is and there's nothing wrong with science and, and exploring the natural world and stuff like that. But there's there's a there's still a truth to these stories that transcends both, you know, I think transcends in some ways the science or, or sci- a science perspective in many, in many, many ways.
0: At some point in the um, 20th century, we decided, hey, we don't need role models. We don't need archetypes. We've got science. And science, I love science, man. It's making the Zoom phone call possible right now. Absolutely. <laughs> but there's no role models in science and i think that, that that is something that we're we're kind of missing here is that when, when we look at science we can look at like all right what 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 should i do to survive we we can look at the world through that lens but the, you know that that might actually lead us to some very dark conclusions whereas and and, and one of the things that i always want to ask a scientist is like what do you you know how would you define a good life or what would you define courage looks like and i don't think that that's these are questions that i don't think science is capable of answering i don't think science is capable of of answering the question of like do these things and that is fulfilling the virtue of courage and i think that is something that we kind of look towards our media and sort of other vehicles or other outlets to kind of Fulfilled with.
1: Yes, in some ways, it, it, in, in great words of a good old uh, Nietzsche, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, God is dead and we killed him um, in that regard and, and, you know, where morals come from, uh, the tree of morals and stuff like that. So that's a very interesting take. And in, in today, I think we're Carl Jung kind of talks about it in Undiscovered Self is this, the clash of the Christian symbols is kind of becoming almost out of date. Um and so or or he has to respond to a new challenge, which it's been responding to challenges for two thousand years. Uh so the question is, can it survive the next round? We don't know. Uh Neil guyman's book, uh American Gods is actually it kind of tackles this uh a lot. It's just a just TV show and stars now. Pretty excited for season three on on the tenth. So so mark your calendars. But uh the uh, the idea here is the new versus the old gods, and like one of the new gods is technology, and in mm. and the old gods are like Wednesday and Odin. Uh, like, <laughs> that is Odin, but you know, like like what do these gods? There's a great conversation, and like what what people believe, and oh, you believe that this plane flies because of science? Okay,
0: here's the thing i I, I don't subscribe to the theory that you know science and religion are at war with one another i think i think they work very nicely in tandem with one another where i think that we're missing is that we we need exemplars of behavior to kind of to kind of shape us and i i think that's where and you can use statistics to say well you know studies show that people who do this are happier and so forth but that never that doesn't necessarily apply that that applies only to the aggregate it doesn't necessarily apply to the individual and it doesn't and that that level of happiness also fluctuates from culture to culture and the values uh, of a society like most people for example it's a little misleading with science is that most people are happy when they feel accepted into their society and where you kind of need archetypes and where you kind of need role models, that's kind of influencing whether your behavior is either inbound or out out of bounds, right? And if your behavior is out of bounds, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to be kind of removed from society. And maybe rightfully so. Maybe you're engaging in some behavior that's not quite acceptable. And that's okay. So I, I think that science doesn't really do a good job of explaining like what behaviors are okay or acceptable and what behaviors are not acceptable.
1: I would agree there in, in a way that it deals with the individuation process. And what what does it mean to be an individual? because what I would kind of push back on is the pursuit of meaning is probably the I don't know why like we put it, the pursuit of happiness, right That's in the Declaration of Independence. It's fine, but it should probably sound something like the pursuit of meaning uh, because happiness is such a it's a terrible term to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but, but meaning, you know, a man with a why can conquer anything. I mean, yes. that's, that's, that's just what it is. And so how do you create meaning and how can you create meaning through uh, imitating and studying role models, for example? I mean, that's, or, you know, what role models are coming up in the society even today? I mean, like, let's look at superhero movies 50 years ago versus, super, or not movies, but superheroes 50 years ago versus superheroes now. We've got, uh, you know, I think a great dichotomy between DC and Marvel, like Marvel, funny, Entertaining, somewhat light, but ser- But can't can ser- carry some serious undertones mm-hmm. and not, you know, take itself too seriously. DC too gritty. It's got to be very gritty, and it's got to be super serious. When in reality, <laughs> it's a superhero. I mean, it's an archetype. So,
0: yeah, you know, that's interesting. I think we should kind of because I think that superheroes do reflect the values. And I, you know, I've had this discussion before that maybe. Our superheroes of the 40s and 50s were just a little too, you know, milk and cookies, a little too clean cut for us to really believe in them. And so we might actually even be borrowing from the Greeks in some way where we're kind of giving them some more jagged edges, more flaws or things that they need to personally overcome. What I'm starting to look at, though, is you know, it's okay if the superhero over the trilogy or over the film experiences growth. I think that's that's awesome. And I think that kind of teaches us to kind of grapple with ourselves. And and that's okay to have like, you know, superheroes that are flawed. What I am, am more wary of is sort of the, the anti-hero. I think of like a, a Tony Soprano or, or some of these other kind of figures that, their means are pretty screwed up and their ends are pretty screwed up. Like their, their ends are just like, well, now Tony Soprano is not a superhero, but he is a protagonist, you know, like he, he is a protagonist. And we also can think of again, great television show, Breaking Bad. I mean, really, like really well-written excellent. But when you finish watching it and now that it's been a few years since the show's been off the air, I do scratch my chin and been like, well, why exactly are we rooting for Walter White? Why why are we rooting for somebody who doesn't really have either good means or good ends? You know, his, his ends is to become some kind of gangster or drug cartel, um, kingpin. And I'm like, why are we rooting for this guy?
1: That's a question I probably couldn't really begin to answer. Uh, <laughs> and you know for me i'm not i'm familiar with breaking bad i haven't actually watched it but for me the joker was like one of those that really hit home the mm. the, the joker movie you end up cheering for him because he was bullied and he was like it, it, it he was beating up like and now he kind of like starts going down this line where he's like vengeance is is kind of key there it to me that kind of takes me to back to this you know to like honor and prestige aspects of, you know, of, of Norse mythology in some regards, which we we both know is really dark uh, because they lived in a dark place. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we also have things like uh, the grim fairy tales. Yes. Extremely dark. And to, and to a point, our stories do reflect as we kind of keep bringing up this theme, like kind of where we are in time and space of like in our relationships with, you know, each other, the collective unconscious or, or something like that, the collective shadow, uh, vampires were the Victorian age. So like all like all of these different stories that came out of the Victorian age, vampires, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, some of these other things are actually uh, the shadow of the Victorian age.
0: That's very interesting. and it kind of brings about a chicken or egg kind of situation where I'm like, is is Dracula influencing bad behavior or did bad behavior influence Dracula? So we, we were always asking ourselves this 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 question of like, I, and i'm I'm kind of optimistic on this, is that I think that what we tend to idolize, Tends to influence behavior, so so maybe I'm saying that the uh, the chicken comes first, or the you know I'm not sure how it pairs up, but I'm I'm thinking that like if I idolize somebody who's pretty nefarious but really wealthy and powerful, well then that's going to start influencing my behavior. So I I think that that's fundamentally a a good thing because we kind of have control over it if we start making more movies and we start making, we come, we start coming up with more role models that kind of embody better as to who we want to be. Well, then maybe we can start changing behavior.
1: Well, there's, there's a few different things there that I would kind of start to kind of pose, I think. Yeah, sure. Um, So what is the appropriate story or in some cases models that you can act out in like a video game, for example. So if I play Halo, like I'm a I'm a I'm a walking, you know, killing machine, which there's some merits to that. Uh-huh. If I play Grand Theft Auto, I'm a criminal. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm actively exploring this side of me, this this anarchical criminal underworld type of thing, our outlaw perspective. Uh, in a controlled environment, but the problem is when I can even when I do it there, I can pull some of that behavior out into the real world.
0: yes. and and this is actually I want to actually really put our thumbs strongly down here. And I think we can talk a lot about a game such as Grand Theft Auto. Um, And again, I I am guilty of playing these games myself when I was a teenager. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pretending that I am like, you know, you know, excuse me, I was reading uh, Victorian literature while you guys were playing grand. No, no, no. Okay. I'm, I was definitely rolling around in the mud just like anyone else. But when I look back at my teenage years and I did spend copious amounts of hours playing these games, what exactly was I emulating? I was emulating the game was providing a virtual simulation where you are a criminal, you are, you know, blowing things up, you are attacking innocent people, all in the pursuit of, you know, you know, like in the game, like in in this game, Vice City, for example, the ultimate goal is to um, live in this huge mansion, right? Kind of like in a Scarface like mansion. I'm like, what's like, are these really values and virtues that are going to help you in the world is this are these virtues helping humanity grow and 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 so forth and for the longest time we we said to ourselves come on it's just entertainment it's just a mild distraction but now that this generation is coming of age we're actually starting to see that a lot of a lot of people my age have not shaken their boots off of the mud and and they they're still kind of like heavily influenced by a lot like a a lot of dissimulation and a lot of these games and and they're actually looking to them as as pseudo not saying it turns you know young men into violent criminals but it kind of does work some magic in the back of their psyche
1: well it changes it changes what they find meaningful Hmm. uh for one and you know this is one reason why i don't play video games as often anymore is because for me, I can play a video game for 10 hours, but at the end of the day, I feel like I've accomplished nothing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so people oftentimes like to like this is where they, they find some form of meaning, right? For a kid, a teenager or something like that, like I don't I don't particularly see an issue with that. Um, I think you have to explore it out the but the question is, and of course, as a expecting father, the question I have to ask myself is at what point. Do I need to pull my kid away from the game, and say the game is really going to get you so far?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yes,
1: you could be the best Halo player in the world and go do esports, and that's fine. Like, good for you. But at the end of the day, what are you really doing with your life? How are you contributing? And and, and But then again, those like esports people, they're an exception to the rule. I mean, a very large except, or very a very big exception to the rule.
0: Well, let me first start off by congratulating on you on being a father soon to be, oh. and you know it, it, these are really important questions. Uh, you know, my first video game was Nintendo playing Super Mario Brothers. And Super Mario was not an archetype. He was a bunch of pixels that jumped and ran. And and it was like, there was no real, there was no like virtue or story behind it. So it was, I would say it was a little bit more benign and a a bit more harmless. Like, and the same thing with Pong or any of these really early games is that, but now these games have really rich stories. They have, like, they have these very rich stories. And the protagonist is just usually a brutal killer or is typically not necessarily the best person. And we gotta pause and and think to ourselves, like these values are transmitting to, to the next generation. And it could be the, the worst thing that they could transmit is that maybe it's not the worst case scenario where, you know, children are becoming brutal killers or something like that. But I think it makes you a lot more apathetic to human suffering. That's, that's what I've noticed a lot from my generation and younger. I mean, I, I, I taught for, for 10 years, high school. And I noticed that the youth of today are becoming increasingly more apathetic to human suffering. Like you'll read a book or you'll read something from history where it was like, and then, you know, a million people were, you know, were were gassed or, you know, executed. And they're like, so what? And, and that's the danger here is that these, these these archetypical figures or these role models that they're following them are really teaching them to not be emotional and to be extremely callous in how they evaluate human life. And I think a first person shooter does that remarkably. It really teaches you that human life is of no consequence whatsoever. And I I think we would be remiss to just ignore that.
1: I think we'd also be remiss to ignore the positives of it too. It teaches you teamwork in a way that you know aiming at a common goal uh, just to kind of play devil's advocate for a minute or two, like video games, and for the most part, where you see one perspective of 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 bad or good, there's always the opposite perspective, depending on how it's used. I mean, I think most people will spend most people spend a lot of time playing Skyrim, especially from our generation. Uh, I mean, that that game, like you can get sucked up in and never do the main storyline, and you know, you can you can be both good and bad. You can make decisions and, and it gives you a space to make those decisions. The problem is do you recognize that it's real? No, that that it's not real. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And how do you reconcile the experience that you get in a game and that you literally are like experiencing with your role model as both yourself and like this potential that you could be? Like, how do you reconcile that with your their true the maybe your true self in the real world and aim at a higher, at a higher mode of being. So
0: I, I think that all of these things could be softened. Okay. Or tempered is if we had real role models out in the larger world that were kind of keeping these virtual role models in check. So again, it could be, mm-hmm. it could be having just a, a good father figure in your life. That's, that's a role model right there. Because if you're playing a video game and you have a, father who works 10 hours a day and you know teaches you how to throw a baseball and is really there for you that archetype of a caring father is now usurping the archetype of some first person shooter guy right because like that's that's especially when we're entering like the male psyche is that that's really important to have role models. and if if there are no good father figures out there, well then the kid playing video game is going to emulate whatever media icon is being thrown you know in his lap. And I, I think also we could do a better job of having more role models from history or from contemporary culture that are doing really, really incredible work. you know I, I was just having a conversation, uh, on my last podcast about like paramedics, firefighters, all, you know, all of these great figures that we have that every single day they're doing the opposite of a first person shooter. They're actually risking their lives to save other lives, not destroy lives and so forth. And I'm like, how how do we kind of, I I think that's a good check and that's a good balance on, on, on some of this stuff.
1: I mean, or even realizing that your KD ratio in call of duty doesn't translate to how effective you're going to be on a battlefield in the real world. (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, that's I think that's a that's a big starting point right there because you know when you die you die you don't get a respawn.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And so it, it is a terrible secret, unfortunately. To quote uh, someone I, I I know, one of my one of one of my role models is Major General uh, Eric Carilla. He he is currently the 18th Airborne Corps Commander. It's a three star general here uh, at Fort at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, was the A 2nd airborne's commanding general and so i mean you know the great the, the great generation uh, those those men and women like those 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 they served as role models for a while yes and we can definitely see some of the benefits that occurred from that but also things start to to decay if 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 left unchecked or if probably if canceled too much or something like that too President Lincoln, also one of my role models, was recently canceled or something like that because – or his statue was uh, attacked and torn down because he uh, sanctioned something to do with the South Dakota tribe or, or uh, a South Dakota Native American tribe. I'm not saying it's not a bad thing, but it, it, should, it should be taken into account that, hey, people make mistakes, especially humans, and it doesn't discount all the things that, that, that he has done. I mean, hands down, one of the best presidents uh, that this that this nation's ever seen, and probably ever will see. So
0: yeah, no, I think I, I think you know, thinking about Lincoln, thinking about our World War II generals and so forth. I think reassessing what valor looks like is really really helpful because I think that you know, I, again, I I can't really comment too much on this, but I think a part of that is sacrifice, and I think a part of that is is. The, the, the good that you kind like you were in a rocky situation and what good did you bring in that situation and i think that's kind of what we could be highlighting a lot more in our in our current role models
1: that and and how they overcome the technology like technology as well because in particular this is i guess this is one of my things is we have a lot of keyboard warriors out there who i i, I would equate them to uh as i said i'm a fan of aragorn right so like aragorn before the black the the black gates and the return of the king gives a, a, a speech it, it's 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 portrayed pretty well in the movie uh and it's something to the effect of like you know i look into your eyes and i see the courage that would take like the half like the life of me or something like that to that effect right having courage in the real world is a lot different than having courage behind a keyboard mm, yeah uh, and so like how do you overcome that and like how do our How do our influencers actually overcome that versus just being an influencer on a behind a keyboard? That's a that's a very hard thing, I think, to figure out and how we can move from that archetype to to other archetypes that people are acting out in the world.
0: I I, that's really I think that's something really profound that you're touching upon here because I think that like a keyboard influencer is playing a very low stakes game they don't really have all that much to lose and even their avatars in whatever game that they're simulating it's just as you said a few minutes ago your character dies within five minutes they'll be respawned and everything will be a-okay and I think that that right there is not necessarily heroic because the stakes aren't real so i think when we're looking at archetypes we want to be studying role models who risked a lot when the stakes were really real
1: yeah and but what is real i know that like, this is a weird a weird question but we just talked we just kind of glanced over how people don't they don't empathize well anymore or something like that and so like they're they're trying to find this void of, of, of to, to empathy um under the guise of of calling it that but it's not how do people over, overcome this how can we find the right role models that they can be anti-heroes in some regards like right now i think we need stories of people who are overcoming this societal keyboard influencer video like things behind a computer versus things in front like in the real world
0: so i'll give you like an example and you know whether you like him politically or don't like him politically let's let's just take john mccain and you know listening to his story of spending five and a half years in a pow camp you know regardless of where you feel about him politically that's a story that's a good archetype because it's a story of sacrifice and it's a story of like i'm going to be the last person to leave this place like he had many opportunities uh you know because he was like the the son of a general or something he was allowed you know he was given many offers to leave early and he decided to stay behind that's an example that's an archetype where the stakes are real like you're spending five and a half years good years of your of your life darn it You know, stuck in a POW camp and you're staying behind. And then he was uh, tortured so badly, he could never even raise his arms, you know, beyond like a certain level. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that we should be valuing once more. We shouldn't necessarily be valuing like the rich celebrity or the person who's like, you know, hey man, like check out, you know, check out how many views or whatever I got on Instagram and so forth. And that's the kind of pivot that we need to start making because those people, we value them because the things that they achieved came at great cost and came at great sacrifice.
1: So you're fighting a bunch of forces here at the end of the day because, you know, popularity is going to be one of them. Yeah. And kids and some of it's just maturity, right? Like it just takes time. And sometimes the unfortunate reality is people have to act out a bad belief before they get to a good belief. That's, that's the hard part. And so like, how do you transition your role models? How do you, how, how does this, like, what's the right thing that you need to do to add meaning to your life? Like, what's your why, for example, or, you know, uh, what's your, and the why just isn't, it can't just be limited to, to something that you can achieve quickly or something like that it has to be everlasting, um, almost. So you're always aiming for it. it's a it's like a perfect type of thing you're aiming for.
0: So you no, know, I I think that you're right, and this does require us to kind of sit and think deeply. But if if we were to have you know I, I actually have a friend out there who's a nurse, and. I, I think that, like our modern day, you know, like like at least in this year, right? of two thousand twenty is, if we think of like the first responders, our, our doctors and nurses, who every single day, even though they had, you know, pe- you know, a protective equipment and so forth, every single day they expose themselves to like a harmful disease, and it's so easy to kind of like see the intrinsic value in that. Like this person is saving lives and every single day they are exposing their own bodily well, well-being well to danger let's, let's turn the camera on them. Let's highlight more of these stories. Let's make more uh, documentaries. Let's make more, um, you know, films that kind of show, you know, a surgeon who spent, you know, like three weeks working nonstop. Like, you know, there's, there's, there are nurses and doctors that I know, Jim, that have worked like 20 hour shifts, and they fall asleep for four hours, and then they get right back to work. And I'm like, we could easily be making more culture and more films. And that I think that like I honestly believe we are good people. and I honestly think that mm-hmm. if people if Hollywood made movies like that, we would start watching them. Like they would be so irresistible to us because we would intrinsically know that these films embody like the best of humanity.
1: Yes, i I would agree with you. I think that they, those stories would be helpful. The 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 thing with that though is and this is you know some, some things that I, I I would struggle with is the ideas it can't be overly political. You have to remove in some ways you can have like a political allegory type talking point within the story, maybe, but you have to remove it completely.
0: I, I agree um, with that because if people think, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm being fed here an agenda or something," then 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 people put their guard up and they get suspicious. But if the if the story is just but about like a random nurse and a random doctor, and again, I think stories that are even based on true stories even sell a little bit better because it's like it's based. It's not just some. It's not just some fiction writer making stuff up. It's based on something that actually happened, and I, I think that. If you do that, and I agree with you, you remove the politics out of it, and it's just like this is the story of a doctor who was working for three months during COVID or something. Well, now now you've created a role model from 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 the ground up. It's kind of like um the Tom Hanks. What was the film where he lands the plane? Like that guy uh, in, in uh, the oh uh, Sully. Yeah, Sully. Right. Yeah, it's like. We have, we've done this before. We've done this before where we've taken regular folk and we've kind of made them into like that, like t- that Sully is like the archetype of pilots out there. Like, you know, so we have, we know how to do this. It's just a question of willpower. It's just, it's just a willpower to start making more of these stories come true.
1: Fun fact, there's also this shadow version of Sully. That was <laughs> Uh If you want to put, cause it's like, I think it was like, maybe it was Denzel Washington that was drunk. Yes, somehow managed to land a plane, right? So, like, that's the kind of the shadow anti-hero version of that. Uh, But it's still interesting. Yeah, we we can do videos like that and and movies and shows and highlight those types of people. Um, It's a slow, arduous process. And what I would like to kind of point to is the Vietnam War, right? Soldiers coming home from the Vietnam War were called baby killers, all other fun stuff. Very rarely do you see that happening now. It's almost completely changed, like "thank you for your service" type of stuff, and it's it's a little different uh, in, in that regard. So it's a long game.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It, it is a long game, and I think that I think the first step in winning this game is for us to just be honest with ourselves, because I I think there's a part of us that just says. Um, it's harmless entertainment. It's not really having a negative impact. Um, but I think that the data is starting to, to come out. You know, I was reading a book recently about, um, you know, we have more young unemployed men than ever before. Uh, we have, mm-hmm. you know, we have females attending college in a six to four ratio as a, compared to men. Like this stuff is is having a negative impact on s- society because I think that in, in meshed in all of, in all of these video games your grand theft autos your tony sopranos your your you know all of these things is is a bit of like cynicism coupled with nihilism and that it basically tells you hey man your life isn't worth all that much it's really not just just sit back relax you know take 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 a seat on the couch open up a beer and chill and i think that for, for the greeks at least i think that their archetypes served as a call for action. They they, they served as a call to action of like, here's how I want my life to look like. Here's what glory looks like. Here's what value looks like. And we don't have to become the Spartans, okay? We don't don't have to like adapt like the most vicious warlike, you know, persona humanly possible. But I think that we can start creating new archetypes that, that that give our, 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 our story value and, and give it kind of glory. And again, it doesn't have to be glory necessarily through war. There's so many other ways that we can find that glory.
1: I would say we already are doing that. Uh, we're already creating a lot of these archetypes. I mean, like, seriously, like, let's look at America's founding. That's an archetype in and of itself. It's a great story with multiple different types of people involved. Uh, that there's plenty on it the civil war there's mm. plenty on it Our some of our literature and our literary figures also uh the question i i would pose is it's it's, it's not that we should take an overt approach uh to, to creating more i think we already have them they're just like it's literally just needs to, like wipe the dust off i and that's all it's required and but how do you wipe the dust off?
0: Okay, I I, I think I can, I, I think I, you're, you're right. Listen, my friend, you are right. And here's, here's how I propose that we do this. I think that you first need to create media that sparks intrigue, right? And it's like, if you create movies that maybe somewhat have a semblance to the Odyssey, or you have movies that have a resemblance to this historical figure in history, and you use modern day characters and but there's like throwbacks and there's you know like even you know like like for example there's in the third batman movie there's kind of a scene that really resembles the storming of the bastille and it's like you can kind of a mesh all of these things in modern day media and then and then you can you build curiosity for these older things by sort of like hiding them into newer things. And, and that requires us to like first look back at the past and see, okay, what what do we wanna cherish from the past and what do we wanna discard? And that, that's a fair thing to do. So you're taking what you like about the past figures like Abraham Lincoln, like you just described, taking those, char- you know, those characteristics and you could, you know, reinvent Abraham Lincoln or you could sort of embody something that Abraham Lincoln stood for in a modern context and now now you're getting the young people to interact with that modern medium and then and then there that's building the value system that's creating that curiosity so that they'll then have like the tolerance or the threshold or the understanding to kind of dust off some of these older works
1: yes uh i can see that working in in a lot of different ways and i mean to me i just don't think it's that overt even that overt um and the reason why is because like we, we do this all the time. Like let's look at John Vavaro, what he's doing. Literally, Star Wars is, is being pulled by the small Mandalorian train, right? <laughs> uh <laughs> great story, right? Yeah. After the trilogy, after the sequel trilogy, which was, I mean, debatably garbage. Yes. Um, like the Mandalorian tells a great story. It's mm-hmm. a bounty hunter, it's a western. That's a that's actually uniquely American.
0: Yeah, right. It is.
1: And it takes it and it does exactly what you're doing. And, you know, it, it it just, it's just telling a good story.
0: Yes. And that's, that's what I think, um, you know, I knew, I knew we were going to get to star Wars and I'm happy that we're here now. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, Right. Your baby Yoda in the background is smiling. I can see that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So thinking, thinking of star Wars is that I think that the original trilogy was so successful because it harkens back to those archetypes from the past. That's what the originally the original trilogy um w- w- was basically riddled w- with all of those like th- those ideas, Con- ancient concepts uh between good and evil, you know, dating all the way back to Zoroastrianism, the code of Bushido from the samurais being Um, you know, reflected in the ways that the Jedi's thought, you know, even, even in the prequel trilogy, um, you know, there's a lot of Buddhism, a lot of Buddhism that is kind of um, enmeshed with the ways of the Jedi. And I think all of that stuff is super duper positive, because a kid could see how the Jedi's live and be like, hey, I admire Jedi's. I want to be a Jedi. And then that kind of opens up the door to reading about the Code of Bushido. It opens up the door to reading about um, Zen Buddhist practices and so forth. And I think one of the reasons that we hate the new Star Wars trilogy is because all of those connections were completely severed. All of them were completely severed. Anything, any kind of mentioning of archetypes or ancient religions just completely eliminated to a more commercially viable product.
1: I'm going to disagree with you. I think that this way, like, I'm just going to disagree for fun a little bit. So the reason why Star Wars is so important is the 70s was actually a period of malaise. 70s was like really not a good time. American society in general is kind of we were in a malaise. We weren't really sure of ourselves. The 60s didn't work.
0: Nixon. Um, <laughs> no, it's like a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> the, 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 the closing, the, the Vietnam War, so on and so forth. And so it, it represented the times, I think, very well. And it, and it came out on the white side of things, right? Like right. On the, I guess on the on the objectively good side, maybe. Uh, The new Skywalker stuff... <laughs> The, the, the rise of skywalker and the sequel trilogy i think is also indicative of our time in a way that is in my personal opinion just not good not not and it's not just because they don't you know harken back i mean the whole first force awakens was literally just a recycle of a new hope anyway it it, it just did something to it that didn't seem to fit the times and it backfired because it, it felt too manufactured, too, too well, too J.J. Abrams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Explosions doesn't make a movie. It no, it make doesn't. A, story. Um, a good story may have explosions in it, but it doesn't necessarily, like, I mean, I can watch several movies that don't have a single explosion in it. Like, for example, A River Runs Through It. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, 1930s, 40s. He's a young, uh, a young guy growing up. And like in the country, going fishing with his dad. All of like it's a great story, actually. Um, I don't need explosions. Yeah. Um, and if you think your audience needs explosion, explosion, pause, explosion, uh, you want a good story. You don't need to tell me everything. And I would be very careful with discarding of the past. This is actually a question I get often asked. I get asked a lot. Um, about the Bible and stuff like that. So, like a lot of people will say, like, "Oh, you just need the New Testament." No, you don't. You need the Old Testament. You need all the atrocities in the Old Testament in order to understand why the New Testament is so important. So, just kind of keep—I would keep that in mind—is be very careful what you discard because, yes, we may not agree with it, but there is—it is an allu- like it is a very helpful arrow pointing to what we what we can't see.
0: When when I say discard, you know, these things, I'm not necessarily literally meaning like, um, yeah. let's get our red pen ready right now. And, and, you know, but what I'm saying is that when we are at least creating these new works of art or these new mediums, if they're sort of like highlighting some of the best from this from this canon, of literature, it's at least getting that, that, that curiosity sparked so that someone will go back and read the new Testament or read the old Testament, or, or at least, you know, and, and then like, as I said, I think everything starts from, from something, right. And you have to start somewhere. And I always argue that if you're going to start somewhere, start with the best or when i say best i'm not trying to put value on it but just the most under the most easily accessible and the most easily understood right like so you want to take the concepts that are easily understood that that can very quickly be like transmitted into positive action and positive behavior you embed that stuff into the new media and then and then later on you might explore these you know these canons you might read up on zen buddhism and get all the nuances and get all the details and you might read up on the code of bushido and and get all the details and you might figure out well hey man i kind of don't like the way the samurai's handled that and okay that's that's for the individual i'm not saying we should hide that but that's sort of something for the individual to kind of make up their mind about
1: there there's a lot of things you have to be careful with um, because even then, like you're, like you think, you know, let's put ourselves in the perspective of of, uh, of Kathleen Kennedy and you know the, the, the <laughs> season, right, yeah, the season, right the trilogy. Like they thought they were doing all the right things, right? But it turned out it wasn't. And the reason, and again, I think this kind of goes back to this idea that the story was manufactured. Hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a ge- as a genuine story. It was it ha- like, and what does it mean to be a genuine story? Well, you have to create things in this world that are consistent, right? I mean, I can, we can't like. I think everyone looked at you know the, the 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 three movies and were like, this is completely inconsistent upon first inspection. Or I mean, there's some some surprises. Yes, you want to have some surprises, um, but you don't want to have to like bend over backwards to find that consistency. Sometimes, like, and that's where I think like really good stories offer some of the best role models and i would say pathways to individuation better than 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 like a manufactured story like tolkien is one of them right so like tolkien wrote not just the role of the rings and the hobbit but he also wrote the similar on and the lost tales and a a slew of things and one of his goals was to have a story that was that was coherent in that had mystery and in he intentionally didn't tell us what happened with the end wives. Like we don't know what happened with all the end wives. Like we will never know because he's dead. <laughs> Chris <laughs> Tolkien wants to make something up because he's he wants to ruin it. Um, <laughs> but but at the end of the day, like the story was consistent, and also knowing when to stop. What mm. is enough? Enough. I don't need nine Halo games. Yes. I just need three. If you can't, I, I mean, three is, I think, a good starting, a good area. Just do three. Star Wars, three. Write some books, have some fan stuff. Legends is great. <laughs> Star Wars is, like, it, it's great. But, like, there's a time to stop. Like, when I mean, we don't need to have a Star Wars cinematic universe or uh, the Marvel cinematic universe the way it is. We just need good stories that offer different pathways to individuation, like curiosity, opposites, wizard, king, failure.
0: There's a lot of commercial value in sometimes conjuring up, as you said, manufactured stories. And I think that anytime a you know, I, I sound like the ultimate idealist now. I'm like, hey, Mr. Disney, hey, Mr. Hollywood, you know, money's not the most important thing, but here goes. It's like, it's not the most important thing if if those stories are becoming diluted, if they're becoming manufactured, if they're losing original essence, and there are no decent role models. If there's no decent role models in that story, I think I think we need to the studio is always going to want to make money, right? The studio is always going to want to make a profit, okay, fair enough. But we as the viewers can can kind of vote with our dollars and be like, "Hey, mm-hmm. this story is redundant. Hey, this story doesn't have, you know, archetypical f- figures that I relate to or I'm learning or I'm growing for." So I think I think we have a lot of power in in the stories that we choose to endorse and the stories that we choose to kind of throw by the wayside. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, no problem. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we can do this again sometime.
0: Absolutely, my friend. This concludes the 103rd episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.